Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. From KQED. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. A California judge has sided with environmental groups and beekeepers and said he'll issue a statewide ban on the pesticide sulfoxiflor, which protects crops from insects but is toxic to honeybees. Recent data from entomologists at the University of Maryland and Auburn University indicate that the number of honeybee colonies in the U.S. fell by 45 percent in the year since April 2020. We look at this worrying decline and the impact of the state court's ruling. And joining me are Susan Kegley, CEO of the Pesticide Research Institute, Incorporated and owner of Bees and Blooms in Santa Rosa. Susan Kegley, thanks so much for talking with us. Thank you for asking me to come. I enjoy being here. Also, Greg Laurie is with us, senior attorney for Earth Justice. Greg represented beekeepers in court against the California Department of Pesticide Regulation. And Greg Laurie, thanks so much for joining us as well. Good morning. Thank you. So can you give us a little background on this case, Greg? Why was California using the pesticide sulfoxiflor? I thought the state had banned it. Uh, no, th thank you. The, the state approved sulfoxiflor for use in California for the first time in 2020. It had been approved federally prior to that, but it had not been approved for use anywhere in California. And so this lawsuit targeted that decision by California to, to bring this new uh, insecticide into the state. I see. And so that is what you were fighting, right? That's right. And, and, and the important thing to understand is how different sulfoxiflor is from most older generation insecticides. It belongs to the same chemical family as the better known neonicotinoids. And like neonicotinoids, sulfoxiflor is a systemic insecticide. And what I mean by that is systemic insecticides are water soluble and they're absorbed by plants, at which point the plant's vascular system distributes the insecticide throughout all of the plant's tissues, including, of course, the pollen and the nectar. So these systemic insecticides like sulfoxiflor present a really a new risk for bees and other pollinating insects because foraging bees that collect the pollen and nectar from crops or even weeds that have absorbed sulfoxiflor transport the toxin back into the hive and feed it to the developing brood. And over time, what we know now is that chronic exposure to even small minuscule levels of systemic insecticides can cause the entire colony to sicken and die. And the, the problem that we were dealing with in the lawsuit was that government regulators, including both the United States Environmental Protection Agency and the California Department of Pesticide Regulation, were really not prepared to address this significant new exposure pathway. In mm. a sense, they were using old testing protocols, 20th century testing protocols to assess the safety of a 21st century insecticide. 
And the court in our case concluded that California had failed to address this new science showing that sulfoxiflor can exacerbate colony die-off by contaminating pollen and nectar. I see. So when, for example, the EPA, in terms of writing about its support for sulfoxiflor, described it as being backed by substantial data that it poses no significant risk to not only human health, um, but pollinators as well. You're talking about them being focused on, like in this case, the actual bee, as opposed to the impact that it has on their colonies. That's absolutely correct. So Susan Kegley, can you give us a sense of what kind of colony collapse we are looking at? I referenced some data recently from academic entomologists in the introduction and the extent to which this pesticide is contributing to it. So one of the important things to look at is not so much the number of colonies, but how much honey can they produce? Those are two different uh, bits of data that the U.S. Uh, National um, Agricultural Statistics Service tracks. And, you know, a colony is one queen and some thousand number of bees, where that could be 3,000 bees for a very small colony, or it can be 60,000 bees for a giant colony. And, you know, you... You can't make much honey with a 3,000 colony of, um, um, of bees with, with only 3,000 in there. But uh, what we've seen is honey production dropping dramatically over time. And the numbers of colonies may indeed drop too, but those are e relatively easy to um, regenerate by splitting hives. But each split then is much smaller. So colonies in trouble uh, because of exposure to these neonicotinoid type pesticides have symptoms that are a little bit tricky to observe. And like Greg said, our tests, the tests that EPA does, doesn't, don't look for these kinds of symptoms. And they include things like the queens don't live as long. So instead of a queen living for a couple of years, uh, even up to five years is what the old timers say, um, they're gone within six months. And the queen is the center of the colony. And if, you, if she's not functioning well, you're not going to have a healthy colony. The other thing that you see is the bees lose their ability to navigate. Um, and this is really critical because if you think about it, the hive is in a certain location, the flowers are all over the landscape, and the bees have to know how to get to the flowers and back and communicate that information to their hive mates. And so that is um, disrupted by these neonicotinoid insecticides. Well, let, let me invite our listeners to join the conversation. If you have questions about bees and pesticides, neonicotinoids or sulfoxiflor in this case, 866-733-6786 is the number, 866-733-6786 if you want to join the conversation. Post your comments on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram. Email us, forum at kqed.org. Susan Kegley, one of the things I was struck by um, is that I read that just about every commercial honeybee colony in this country spends at least part of the year in California. Can you explain what that means? Yes, so uh, California has over a million acres of almond trees, and uh, we're the leading producer of almonds in the world. And um, every almond needs a bee to pollinate it. There's some self-pollinating varieties coming online, but there's not very many of them. So every acre of almonds requires two colonies of honeybees to ensure 
good pollination for it. So that means that beekeepers from all over the country truck their bees out here in semi-trucks um, and help the almond growers. So the almond growers are not applying insecticides during bloom, of course. They don't want to ruin their um, pollination. But they do apply quite a number of fungicides as well. And one of the things that we've noticed or some of the research is showing is that the combination of neonicotinoid insecticides and fungicides can be very problematic for the bees. So then, Greg Laurie, can you talk about the significance of this ruling potentially, the impact that it could have? I think one, Dr. Kegley just mentioned this, but one impact of the ruling is it directs the Department of Pesticide Regulation to consider the cumulative effect of all of the approvals of these systemic insecticides together. And, um, so traditionally, the department has taken a pesticide by pesticide, active ingredient by active mm. ingredient approach to this. And as a result, they've missed these issues of like, well, what happens when you apply sulfoxiflor on top of all the various other um, systemic insecticides that are out there and perhaps on top of the fungicides that Dr. Kegley mentioned. And this cumulative impact is really significant and something that the Department of Pesticide Regulation has not previously um, come to grips with at all. Do you see other states potentially adopting this? Well, we certainly hope so. And I think, you know, California has the potential to be a, a real trendsetter in this area when it comes to pesticide regulation. Um, we, we are very fortunate in this state to have a, a well-funded and expert agency that acts as sort of a backstop against the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency. And quite frankly, I think, um, you know, the Environmental Protection Agency would do well to look at what California has been doing with respect to um, pollinator issues in, in general. Um, as Dr. Kegley mentioned, no state in the union has more um, to lose from the pollinator crisis than California. We produce the, the overwhelming majority of the um, crops like nuts, fruits, vegetables, uh, fruiting vegetables that require bees for pollination. The judge said that he would issue a statewide ban within 30 days unless a higher court intervened. So the ban hasn't taken effect yet, correct? And a higher court, I'm guessing, has not intervened yet? That's correct. There is an opportunity for the Department of Pesticide Regulation to appeal this ruling, and that, and that remains to be determined. Have you seen any indications that they will? I know that they're also um, being supported by Dow AgriSciences and Corteva, other companies that manufacture these. Uh, pesticides, right? Th that's right. Um, I, I don't know whether they will will seek to prolong this litigation. Um, we certainly hope that they don't. Uh, I think they have an opportunity here to go back and and do the work that clearly needs to be done. Um, and 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 there's reason to get started on that now. And then I also understand um, that a federal challenge to the U.S. of sulfoxiflor is before the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals and will be argued next month. Can you just help us understand what we should know about that case? Yes, the, the, the issue in that case is a Trump administration decision to dramatically expand the allowable uses of sulfoxiflor above and beyond even what California had, um, had proposed to do here. And uh, we are representing the commercial beekeeping industry in a federal lawsuit that challenges that decision as well. Um, we're talking about 
allowing use of sulfoxiflor on bee attractive crops while the crops are blooming, which is just sort of the, the you know, a real sledgehammer effect. Um, so that case will be decided by the Ninth Circuit or will be heard by the Ninth Circuit rather in, in January of next year. We're talking with Greg Laurie, senior attorney at Earth Justice, Earth Justice's California office. Greg represented beekeepers in court against the California Department of Pesticide Regulation. Also with us is Susan Kegley, CEO of Pesticide Research Institute and owner of Bees and Blooms in Santa Rosa. We're talking about a California ban on sulfoxiflor and how this pesticide affects pollinators like honeybees and how the court's ruling could have a broader impact. And of course, if if you keep bees, if you're a gardener, or if you have questions about how to protect them or other pollinators, you can call us at 866-733-6786. If you have questions about the pesticides, neonicotinoids, and sulfoxiflor, you can email us, forum at kqed.org, post your comments on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram. We're at KQED Forum, and you're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. So, Susan Kegley, I imagine that what we're learning about sulfoxiflor and neonicotinoids, as you mentioned earlier, would be something that a lot of gardeners would care about, right? Because, and, and anybody who works in this industry, whether you're a big farmer or anyone, because pollinators are so critical um, to our food production and so on, do you see some of this having an effect? Do you see some recognition and norms shifting in terms of the use of this pesticide? <laughs> um, so um, yes and no. Um, yes, in the sense of there's been a dramatic increase in use since these neonicotinoid type insecticides were introduced in 94. And um, um, I recently did a study looking at how the landscape toxicity has changed over time and what was driving that. Um, and it turns out that the neonicotinoid type insecticides of, of which sulfoxiflor is one um, have increased in the types of crops that can be treated with this insecticide over time, in particular corn and soybeans, which account for more than hundred million acres, 150 million acres in the, in the country. And um, the landscape toxicity, which we determined by looking at how immediately toxic it is to be, how quickly does it kill them, um, along with how long this, these pesticides persist in the environment. Um, and so we took those two factors into account and found that over 20 years, um, the or actually 30 years, the landscape toxicity has increased by a factor of 48 times just because of the increase in use of these insecticides. Now, that's agriculture. And I would say that agriculture is still on that increasing trend. Um, but for nursery plants, there's been, um, and, and these are things that might affect the home gardener more. Um, most people are interested in planting beautiful flowers, but also flowers that support native pollinators and honeybees and butterflies. Those, you know, those are great things to do. And it's something that each individual can do. And I worked with Friends of the Earth and we tested some of these plants that were being sold at the big box stores like Home Depot and Lowe's. And this was work was done in 2013, 2014, and 2016. And we found in 2014 that about 51% of the plants in these big box stores were contaminated or treated, if you will, with neonicotinoid insecticides that are toxic to bees. So these are bee-friendly plants that people are buying to put in their pollinator gardens and they're 
toxic to bees. So um, the Friends of the Earth folks went and talked to the um, environmental coordinators at Home Depot and Lowe's and started to make a real difference. Um, Home Depot requires a label now um, for plants that are treated with these neonicotinoid insecticides. So at least gardeners will know what they're getting into. The pressure mm -hmm. on the nursery industry brought about some pretty interesting changes where people um, changed a lot of their methods for managing pests in their greenhouses and nursery areas. So that the testing in 2016 showed that only 23% contained the neonicotinoid insecticides. And um, we haven't looked since then, but um, they're still being used in the nursery industry, but there's a lot of attention being paid to what the customer wants, which is flowers that are good for bees, not poison to bees. Well, Liz writes, what can we do to help declining numbers of bees? Is backyard beekeeping helpful? I read that those colonies crowd out native bees. <laughs> that is a little bit of an issue for sure. Um, the best thing that people can do is to plant pollinator friendly plants, preferably organic, um, but at least find a nursery that you um, trust. Uh, and there are many, and particularly in the Bay Area, um, that um, don't use these bee toxic insecticides. And Dan in Santa Barbara wanted to know if native bee species are being considered for special protection. Yes, and Greg may know more about this than I do. Go ahead, Greg. Greg Laurie? Um, yes and no. Um, I can tell you that, for instance, into the Federal Endangered Species Act, um, there are there is at least one bumble, uh, bumblebee that is now protected um, under the Endangered Species Act. It does not occur in California. The uh, it is not a bee, but the monarch butterfly is certainly everyone knows has has heard of it. Um, very charismatic. Uh, critter and it is now a candidate for protection under the Federal Endangered Species Act. The problem in California, we have an overlay of the California Endangered Species Act, but it does not extend um, protection to insects, or at least that is what uh, a court has concluded. Hmm. So while the California Fish and Game Commission has concluded that several species of California bumblebees um, warrant protection under the California Endangered Species Act, they are currently not eligible to receive it. Well, Susan Kickley, we have just 30 seconds or so left, but I wonder if you can just tell us the degree to which bees are imperiled in California. Um, well, with managed honeybees, you have the beekeeper who's taking care of them and is at least noticing when there are problems and working to fix it. That's expensive, but at least there's some attention. The native bees are not being tracked as much, and I would say they're the ones who are in the bigger amount of trouble because we don't know the extent of the impacts and no one is really looking out for them. So um, I would say this needs a lot more work. Um, hopefully some of the universities will start researching populations and trends in, in their um, rise and fall so that we can start to think about what to do about them. Susan Kegley, CEO of Pesticide Research Institute, thank you so much for talking with us. Thank you for having me. And Greg Laurie, Senior Attorney at Earth Justice, really appreciate having you on as well. Thank you, it's been a pleasure. We've been talking about a California ban on sulfoxiflor and how this pesticide affects pollinators like honeybees. Thanks listeners for your questions, comments. My thanks to Dan Zoll and Tina Lauber for producing today's segment. This is Forum, I'm Mina Kim. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio, 
the Germanicos Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country. We need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.